Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Welcome to Webcology on WMR.FM. It is the, uh, the 2nd of December, 2021. This is Jim Hedger for Digital Always Media, and uh, Dave's not here, man. Dave has uh, taken a quick mini vacation, and uh, he'll be back next week. We have in the house with us, Christine Schackinger is uh, sitting in the co-pilot seat uh, as usual. Christine, again, thanks for jumping in. We have Jenny Hazlis, president of JLH Marketing, and Ryan Jones, vice president of SEO at Razorfish, who, who've also joined us. And um, we don't got a topic today. There's so much that's happened in SEO over the last uh, year, a um, few months since August. Um, I just wanted to free flow. I just wanted to talk about like how things have changed, um, how uh, what you guys are looking forward to in 2022, what's changed recently in 2021, if that's like drastically changed your practice. Um, you know, we've, we've just ended the uh, e-com season, uh, the shopping season. It's pretty much too late for consumers to buy stuff and guarantee it's going to be shipped for Christmas. So now it's um, it's uh, exodus time. It's, it's, it's migration time. Let's start there. You guys, are you guys seeing an uptick in migrations, or or people, or clients who want to move to more robust ecom platforms? Yes. <laughs> Short answer: Yes. Um, we work with a large, a lot of you know CPG companies and and larger brands. And throughout the pandemic, one thing in common between all of a lot of clients is, hey, you know, other people sell our stuff. I think we need to start selling our own stuff now. How do we do that? So we're definitely seeing a lot of uptick there. And, you know, I don't want to name names or people, but you name a company and people out there are starting to think like, not only how do we sell our own stuff, but how do we help other people sell our stuff, whether it's on Amazon or Chewy or Walmart or any other e-commerce platform. A lot of the the big companies are thinking about this now um, in all those aspects. It's a huge growth area for, for a lot of places right now. You seeing that same sort of thing too, Jenny? Yeah, from where I sit, I work with a lot of e-commerce clients, and what we're finding is just there is no really good e-commerce platform out there that will do all of the things that a modern e-commerce company needs to have done. And we've got this kind of nightmare of multiple platforms trying to talk to each other and not cooperating and, and CDNs that don't work with image delivery services and CRMs that aren't pulling in the correct data for follow-up. And, uh, you know, it's just, I could just go on and on and on about all the issues that we're seeing. And I mean, like I'm really impressed with what Shopify has been doing to try and kind of close that gap, but they're not there yet. And um, the other big players just not seeing a really good, robust platform right now that really meets the need. This is the 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 the, the good thing of working with an agency that has a full time developers department. <laughs> um, I'm seeing migration. Like all of our large clients are are, are migrating as well. But um, I totally get where you're coming from, Jenny. Um, that's where devs come in. I'm really lucky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of my clients have great teams of devs, but you can only do so much with a platform that really doesn't work the way it's intended out of the box. So that's what we run into a lot. And so we don't do migration so much as we migrate certain aspects of the tech stack and it seems like we're always migrating something. I think Jenny just hit on a huge key point there. If, if you're a platform out there and you don't have an in-house SEO or accessibility person or whatnot uh, working on your platform, you're really doing a disservice because we, what I see all the time or with new clients that come in especially is, hey, we bought, we bought this thing and we thought it would do SEO out of the box and it's SEO sucks, help us. And it's, you know, when I use the analogy all the time of selling tires, if I go buy tires, I go to the tire shop and say, I need a tire. And 
they go, you know, I expect that they're going to put it on my car and they're going to put in a valve stem and they're going to mount it and they're going to align it and they're going to fill it up with air. And a lot of these companies and platforms out there are like, here's your tire. Enjoy your day. And like, all right, I need it on my car. And it's meanwhile, it's you're standing thing. there with a limp tube. Right. <laughs> like, what do I do with this tire? <laughs> it's the same thing with SEO. Like you switch to a platform or tool provider or even an agency and say, hey, I need a website. You th- expect all that stuff built in and it's not being done. And so there's a lot, you know, I think you hit on it with platforms and whatnot. None of it really is good for SEO out of the box on a lot of the platforms or accessibility or a whole bunch of other areas, UX, right? And it's, you know, that's a huge growth opportunity for one, our companies, or two, those platform companies themselves. You know, if you can nail that down where that stuff is included, there's a huge opportunity for you there as people are thinking about replatforming. If the companies you're working with that are replatforming are, are large enough, they have um, dedicated dedicated personnel at the platforms working with them. Is yeah. SEO going to become a part of that we job? We do. <laughs> no, no, again, but, but hear me. We do have dedicated personnel working with no, them. They don't uh, abs- know how to make their platforms work. Well, absolutely. That's that, this is what I want to get at. Should should SEO skills be a part of that job, that support job? Well, in know, the future. I w- I'm going to let them answer more fully, but I would say definitely yes. And also, um, I just to add on to the platform discussion, just be careful if you decide to migrate that you need to do that migration. I'm working with a non-e-commerce migration, but they moved to a platform which is way too complicated and complex and requires very expensive developers, and they could have been on WordPress. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so just be careful when you're doing that platform migration. You make sure you needed it in the first place but uh seo is the environment that all sites live in right so i think seo should always be involved up front would that be uh jenny would that be helpful for you like if uh if, if, if your support persons had at least a better understanding of, of what you were talking about yeah i mean i think that in the specific case that i'm thinking of the person that works with us on a full-time basis who is from the platform really gets seo um, but what they are not able to do is coordinate the platform's shortcomings with what we need to accomplish with SEO in the context of the rest of the tech stack. So because you end up with, you know, a CMS and an image delivery service and a CDN and all of these different pieces trying to work together, it, it seems like there's just no way to get them all to work together unless you could put the developers of every program together and have them work together. And the problem is most of the time they just don't do that. Well, that makes me wonder, Ryan, the companies you work with, and I know we can't drop any names, of course, but I don't, I don't know if unlimited budget works, but endless resources certainly does. Um, I, I mean, I think a lot of them would disagree with endless resources on the budget, <laughs> um, yeah. um, especially my sales team. But um, I, I think, you know, larger resources, um, you know, as you get to larger companies, yes, but it's it's still a problem. It's the same. When it comes to this topic, the larger companies are really facing the same problems as the smaller companies is, you know, we expected this to be done. What can the platform or tool or vendor do to help us with this? And you know, I'm not saying that all of SEO will ever be replaced by Shopify, you know, no, right? Um, can a lot of the technical stuff be taken care of there? Probably, but we're still going to need people that understand what our customers want and, and how to, and then figure out how to give it to them, right? That's, that's never going to go away as much as SEO changes. And I, this might segue into another topic, but, you know, I, I think it's the same challenges, regardless of budget. They're just manifest in different ways, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, are they easier to clear if you're able to throw uh, more resources at it? Sometimes. Um, I've seen some platforms where, you know, if you're a big enough client, you're like, I need this. You know, sometimes they'll change it and get it for you or, or get it done. And then other times they're just like, yeah, our platform doesn't do that. So it's, <laughs> it's what it is. Yeah, I mean, I do think there's a certain level of of privilege involved here that these larger companies with more resources, we won't say unlimited, but more resources um, are able to really get a leg up on on any competition, any competitive 
field just because they have that name and that pull, that investment with the tool to get things done. And I mean, I, I work primarily with with really large enterprise. It just it just strikes fear into my heart when I think about what some of these mid-sized companies must have to deal with with regard to getting these tool manufacturers to even work with them. Um, it's as with everything in life, money talks. And, uh, and I think it just, again, makes that playing field even more unlevel than it already is. Well, indeed. And like uh, to, 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 to totally mix metaphors, like, uh, like all, all ships in uh, a uh, turbulent tide, um, you know, some are able to detach themselves up and then withstand the tide and some aren't going to be able to. Um, these migrations are happening. They can cause chaos um, or they can be incredibly smooth, but they're happening at a time of uh, great change in the search engines themselves. We've been through, I've lost count of how many core updates have happened in 2021. Um, I'm not even sure how many of those core updates felt like they were of um, like they had a, a, a visible or, or meaningful impact on, on, on most websites, but they certainly had an impact on, on how Google works. Um, oh, come on, Jim. Haven't you read the latest uh, core update winners and losers account? Yeah. <laughs> Kudos to the people that published all that stuff before the updated uh, finished rolling out too. Like those SEOs are really on top of it. <laughs> Indeed. For, for what it's worth, I understand. Oh, Christine, sorry. <laughs> I was just say funny story about those winners and losers list. I uh, was working for a client after a big update, and I woke up and saw my site on the losers list. And so I ran over to Google Analytics, like, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we were up like thirty percent." So you have to be <laughs> you have to be careful of those lists because they're all from sample databases on sampled keywords, so they may not be very accurate. Well, it's, indeed, so much <laughs> misinformation well, like, around this. Well, and they're all like site visibility, right? Which is yeah. like the worst metric ever because one keyword with a really high search volume in the first position can make it look like your site visibility went up tenfold when in reality, you've really only got, you know, a hundred extra visits from it. Yeah, true, true. Just to yeah, just... For the record, uh, Google suggests that it just finished rolling out the uh, what was called the November 2021 uh, core update. So that's done. If anybody wants to talk about it now, that might be reasonable. I could tell you that I had two sites that could potentially be affected, and all I saw was a minor bump on one of about 15%. Um, in the past, when they ran the core updates, PageSpeed was looped into it, and PageSpeed can make a big difference, but Core Vitals seem to be fairly minimal right now. So, And I don't know that they're in the core update. You know, that's something, there's something I want to go to right now. Core Web Vitals were the most important thing back in uh, spring uh, 2021. Um, Google's been saying over and over again, speed up or we're going to get you, speed up or we're going to get you. That, that goes back to 2020. Mm -hmm. And since the summertime, Google has been emphasizing Core Web Vitals, not that important, not, 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 not when it comes to how your website ranks, but it's really important, but, but you know, don't worry, it's not so important. What's, how, what are we to make of the mixed signals? Well, the, we have to differentiate between PageSpeed and Core Web Vitals. So PageSpeed had a devaluation component, so you could go lose a lot of, um, of your rankings with a PageSpeed update. And noting that a lot of SEOs think, oh, it's just a tiebreaker. That's true, but it's a tiebreaker on query level. So if you have a large site with lots of queries, it can be quite significant. And my biggest gain one time was 200,000 visits a day on a PageSpeed update. Um, but so Core Web Vitals are not that. Core Web Vitals, only, you only go up, you don't go down. So if you go down, uh, it's because the other sites passed you, not because Google devalued you. And it's, far, it's supposed to be more, more impactful according to their their um, documentation. And according to even John Mueller on Twitter the other day, which kind of contradicts something in a Barry article, but he was talking about something very specific in the Barry article. Generally speaking, he was indicating it should be more significant, but not a site maker, but definitely more than a you know, small thing. Um, but I'm not seeing that. And I'm not seeing people report the same thing. Jenny and Ryan might have different experiences, but uh, there was somebody who said this, and I'm not saying this is true, 
but they're in a whole lot of trouble because they committed um, some very bad things around AMP implementation, uh, where they they you know slowed other sites so they could get header bidding advantages in ads, <laughs> and and they did hey, a lot of bad things. Be? That was Google. <laughs> <laughs> that's an that's in a court document. That's not secret in any way. Um, so there is some some idea that core vitals are more about getting rid of AMP because they're in a lot of trouble over what they did over AMP. But I don't know that that's true. See, what that well, is. I've always thought that Core Web Vitals were about, uh, were, were to a certain extent about AMP because they needed some way to be able to measure those sites that was transparent, um, but didn't keep the walled garden of AMP going. Yeah, I think you guys hit on a couple, uh, couple points I want to address is, one, Christine, kind of what you're talking about is in not playing nice is one of the trends I'd, I'd seen since SEOs began preaching speed and core vitals is people were like, oh, well, Google's only calling them mobile. So I'm going to put these million annoying pop-ups and ads and autoplay videos and everything on my desktop, but not on my <laughs> mobile. And yeah. they're, they're starting to catch up to that. That's that's not a good thing now. That's going to come into play from some of the stuff I've seen. But search engine journal. <laughs> I'm... Uh, I'm t yeah, um, or any Forbes. Uh, I, I feel like yeah. every core update should be called the Forbes update, but uh, I don't want to pick on them too much. Um, you know, one of the core web vitals and speed are kind of a pet peeve of mine because for a lot of sites out there, it really isn't going to matter. And what I mean by that is like, if you're a site that gets mostly branded traffic, Coke's never going to outrank Pepsi, no matter how slow, no matter how slow they are and fast Pepsi is, no matter how bad the experience is. If you're searching for Coke, you're going to get a Coke. And there's a lot of queries like that where it doesn't matter how bad your experience sucks. If someone's searching for it and you're the clearly the, you know, I'll, I'll use old quality Raider terms, the vital result for that query. It doesn't have to be a branded term for you to be the vital result. Um, you know, there, there can be other examples. But if you're the what people are expecting for that query, none of that stuff matters for, for you in those queries. Can it be a tiebreaker and matter in, in a bunch of non-branded queries or a bunch of competitive queries? Yeah. But I think it's before you drop everything and say, oh my God, Core World Vitals most important thing, it's worth looking at your your query set and like, what what am I actually competing with others on? You know, like where is this gonna make a difference? Is it really a huge thing for me? Or is this just something my SEO agency wants to sell because it's new and it's important and you know, it's it's a thing that that, you know, it's a thing to do. Uh, how what's the impact gonna be? And it's, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't matter for a lot of sites, it does. But for some sites, it, it may not be an important thing to worry too much about. You know, just being as good or better than your competitors might be enough for a lot of sites there. Well, but the, Ryan, oh, go ahead, Jenny. But the, but the contrary point to that is that I believe, and this is just my theory, that core web vitals are similar to technical improvements on a site. That I believe that they're a signal of trust, a signal that Google can trust your site and that uh, if they send people to your site, they're going to have a good experience. And so if you have a problem at a site level where none of your pages are loading well and everything's shifting all around because of cumulative layout shift and, you know, you just have essentially a bad experience that's associated with your core web vitals, then fixing them can bring a really big return. That's fair. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's some really bad stuff out there. Uh, sorry, sorry, Christine, I, I didn't mean uh, to. Uh, it's okay. It's hard on Zoom. Can't necessarily hear. Uh, no, I was just going to say that, um, you know, Ryan, you and I work in different fields. So, and, and the internet. So you work a, with a lot of very big brands. So you're very right. If you're Coca-Cola, Pepsi's not gonna, you know, outrank you for your branded terms. However, when you get outside of that realm, a page feed before CWVs could have a very large difference. And I worked with a site that's a niche uh, news publication for a product. And there's only about five or six competitors in that area in the main uh, branded term, the main terms, because the branded term is the product name. Uh, and they got slammed really badly on a core update because of their page speed. We got all their traffic back. But CWVs aren't working that way. And I have a theory about CWVs as well, in addition to what Jenny said. And that is Google spends a lot of money crawling the Internet. And uh, I heard from somebody that there's 70 billion new pages a day found by the search engines, all the search engines. So I think that part of Core Vitals is to reduce their crawling and indexing costs. And they, give, they gamified it. They put it in a, 
search console and then they gave us, you know, these updates and they're going to make it run and you should do it. And now everyone's going to do it that has an SEO. Uh, now we're not getting a big reward for it. So people may not care soon. But I do think that's part of it because, I mean, there was one data center that Google had in, I think it was Kentucky or Kansas. They had to literally build a dam for the water to cool the place. So it's it's really expensive for them to to index and crawl really bad sites, you know, technically no. bad sites. For, for some yeah, reason, I mean this that's is... a great segue. Let's let's talk a minute about indexing. I mean, I think this is going to continue to be an issue for sites going forward. That getting new pages indexed is going to be a challenge. Um, I've certainly seen it on some of the bigger sites I work on. We can create in dozens of new product pages, and they don't even get indexed. Um, at least not quickly. Um, I... I'm just, I'm seeing that across the board. I'm hearing from others that they're seeing it too. And I think we're going back to hilariously, you know, we're, we're going back to the nineties with search engine submission. I mean, Bing and Google now have indexing APIs where you can ping <laughs> them with your new pages. And we're, we're, you know, we've, we've started implementing that right into Adobe CMS, which again, a thing that Adobe doesn't do by default. My, my dev team's got to code it up, but you know, we're putting that checkbox right in the CMS for clients. So when they create a new page, they can literally click a button right in that CMS and say, submit this to Google and Bing. And again, a huge opportunity where something we can do because we have dev resources that should just be built into the CMS by default, but it's not into, I mean, I'm sure there's WordPress, WordPress plugins for it already, but your other CMSs, I don't know of any that automatically support that or have it built in, but another good example of what we started talking about, or, you know, we're, we're going right back to that submit your site model. Um, I don't know if it's the right thing to do, but we're going there. I have some good news on that. <laughs> yeah, no, right just, just as a caveat to our listeners, that does not mean you should answer those emails that say, we'll submit your site to a thousand search engines. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I have some good news on that, though. Right before this, I sat in on a call with Fabrice from Bing about Index Now. Uh, and it looks like uh, it's going to be an open protocol used by all websites. Uh, even including Google, that Google hasn't given a definite date, but it looks like they are going to utilize the protocol. And it's really more like indexing. It's not going to index the page now, but it's going to it's going to take the URL immediately from the list that you give it. And it's like an external site map, but a little better. And one guy was testing it, and his stuff's been getting uh, indexed within seven seconds. So, so will this be used for instant discovery, or will it be used yes. for pushing bots around? No, instant discovery, it's not about full like scoring and ranking. It's about notifying that you have an URL of importance. So like you wouldn't put your contact page in there. But it, it is going to be um, an instant notification to all the search engines that this page exists. And once it's done to one search engine, any other search engine using the protocol will also get notification of that page. Nice. It won't be it won't be used for authorship or anything of that nature. It's just basically, hey, Here's an instant page. So you don't have to crawl your site and get your RSS feeds and go through everything. You're literally just going to be hooked in through a web plugin, through like web, WordPress, or you're going to have a way Google, I think, I mean, Bing has already uh, got the protocol up to implement it on your site. And you're going to be able to show them that these are the pages you have that are important and you want them to instantly start crawling. I mean, wasn't that the idea behind the XML sitemap? And then as SEOs do, we just messed it up. Yes. Well, yes and no. <laughs> uh, according to what I was told, I, and I, I, there's something they can't say because it was a conversation on, you know, that there are some restrictions on, but uh, according to what I said, it's just that a lot of XML sitemaps are not updated properly. They're not written properly. No, they're terrible. Um, yeah, I, I know. I well, they're all, un, they're all automated. Yeah, like nobody, nobody writes an XML sitemap. You just push you, and they're automated happens. poorly. Really, yes. Like, yes. The line I keep giving, um, I keep saying is XML sitemaps are a tool like a knife. You can butter your bread with it or stab yourself. And some reason, most <laughs> SEOs that use SEO sitemaps choose to stab themselves. It's, it's just what we well, do. You got to edit the, you have to edit the sitemap that any um, content edit? management system creates for you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you got, you got, totally there's a whole bunch of useless sitemaps yeah. that people, people submit to Google um, that yeah. there's no reason, no reasons why are they looking at your tag structure they don't need that exactly and they'll that's find that idea. some it's other fair. way to yeah. be to fair be i mean 
I got these XML sitemaps that have, you know, 500,000 pages that are actually important to us. And Google's bogged down in 1.5 million versions of a canonical, you know, (laughs) 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 they're not taking my hints anyway. (laughs) But did you list everyone as priority one updates hourly? Of course. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, the good news too about indexing now is you can also notify when it's been updated or deleted. So it'll instantly take up that URL. Let's say you're trying to get rid of a page. You don't have to wait for the Google to pick up like once Google implements it, but you won't have to wait for Bing to like, you know, discover that you put a no index on there and then you 404 it, and maybe six months later, the page drops. So uh, it's just been, it's been instant communication between your website and the search engines. But the really cool thing is with the open po- protocol, it won't be only Bing that notice, knows it. It's be everyone who subscribed to it, including things like Cloudflare. And Cloudflare is actually already implemented on their uh, servers. You have to turn yeah, it on. Yeah, we're doing. We're, we've been invited to test it on one of my client's sites that has a problem with index and render. So this should be interesting to see I'm, how that uh, turns out. I'm using it on all my Cloudflare sites, like WTFSEO and my personal sites. But um, you know, I got to actually write content for that to be of any use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just remember, it's not Google has not officially like. They're looking at it and adding it, but they haven't officially added it to the, the results. So it's, it's right now a Bing and there's, I think maybe DuckDuckDo, but I'm not sure about that. Yeah, but I guess I just get frustrated as an SEO that like, it's always some new way to do something that I feel like they should be able to do themselves. Um, uh, they well, being Google. You know, as, as, as like, Christine said uh, earlier, um, did you, were you serious about that 90 billion or 90, I'm sorry, 90 million uh, websites a day being 70, discovered by search engines? According to Fabrice, 70 billion. Uh, 70 new billion new URLs, new URLs a day. New URLs a day for Bing. So I'm, I don't know if their index is the same size as. Uh, honestly, but. I think that Jenny just, just the exponential growth of the web makes it impossible mm-hmm. to follow links. Just like it's just too many. I, I, I don't know. Like, but like I we had we had parameter handling. We have robots.txt. We have um, XML sitemaps, and it's like I have these for my sites. They're they're optimized to the hilt. They're you know we don't have anything in the XML sitemap that shouldn't be there. And instead, Google's running down this rabbit hole of following some link that hasn't been active in 90 days and going into this rabbit hole of trying to index all of these pages that are robots.txt out or, or, or you know, it's just like, <laughs> it just Google drives me a- absolutely crazy because oh, I hear you. Google's, they don't Google's got take a lot. the hints that we give them. Well, and Google's got a long and very imperfect memory. And sometimes when I get something in its mind, like you've done bad, it just doesn't forget. Even if that done bad was quite a long time ago, I just came across a uh, website that was, that was that was like very recently updated a couple like in the last couple of weeks. Everything has absolutely changed. Um, but a night a twenty eighteen version got hacked and had a whole bunch of like crap ass porn links put on it. Google refuses to accept one specific page from that website because of all those porn links. Because that 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 page has a URL that's been used for years to represent different versions of the same page. Google's got a bad a weird memory. Well, I thought that they knew all bad links and they couldn't harm you in any way. They refuse to. They they, ref, they refuse to put this page in their index, even though they acknowledge it exists. I'm joking. It's crazy. I'm joking. I'm joking. As okay, Jenny and I both know. And, and then, like, don't even get me started on the title and description things, because, like, I've got a client right now who their BBB listing, uh, Google is pulling content what? from a 2016 user complaint. <laughs> As the description. Oh my! (laughs) (laughs) That's compelling. And what the hell do you do? You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. 
Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. With that. <laughs> You know, I really, I, I, I really think that if they're going to rewrite our titles and descriptions, they should allow us an out. And a former Googler told me that it'd be very simple for them to put it in the X robots tag because they, they take one of my clients out the main word from the title, which is API. So they offer an API, but API is no longer in the title. And then another former client, you can't put free shipping on the website because they won't let you. So it's in all the titles, but they moved the name of the company to the front. So now free shipping is no longer visible in the title tag. And those are things that are actually harming business revenues. Like well, if people- at least they did fix that one issue that I had where um, the client had rebranded and Google insisted on changing all the title tags back to the old brand. <laughs> yes, I, I, I know a company that got sued over that. They were court ordered to change their name. And they were also court ordered to include a like three sentence disclaimer about the, the lawsuit and the name change on their website. And so they changed the name and they included the disclaimer that the court said, you have to put this on your homepage. Right. Um, and they did it. And then Google just kept changing the title to the old company name because that's what all the links pointing to the site said. And they picked up the heading of that uh, disclaimer the court made them put on there to the point where it almost ended up in court again with another lawsuit because they're like, what the hell? It's showing this old name. We told you to stop using that. Wow, <laughs> yeah, like, We did. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing too is, I mean, seriously, it could be considered business interference because we had a 20% drop on visits to the page where they took API out of the title, which makes sense because it no longer said it was an API for a SaaS service. Um, and, and it's a paid API. It's not a free one. And with all the people I see posting about it, we all have a mutual friend that's posted about his woes with the title tag changes and description changes causing many revenue down clicks on his site. And it's, it's, when it, it's one thing when it's just like about you know, changing search results, but this is actually causing a difference in site clicks and site revenue because we all know that title tags and descriptions do get people to click into a site. And, and Google's rewrites are never good. <laughs> I don't want to get people down a click-through rate as a ranking factor. Uh, no, no, not that. Hole, no, not that. Not that. No, I, I'm just I would, I would hope. Yeah, yeah. I, I would hope Google's yeah. smart enough to realize, crap, our rewrite is not getting as many clicks. Maybe we shouldn't do this. And I don't think that logic exists just yet. I think they're just looking at it from a natural language point of view. Like, oh, the users, the title tag didn't match what the user was talking about in their query. So this other thing did. Let's use that instead. But maybe one day they'll get smart enough to see like, oh, that didn't work. We shouldn't rewrite that. Or they'll the, just give us control. I'm sorry. Except the weird thing is they're not query matching the titles. Yeah, I, th I, th I, th I thought I saw Danny yeah, write that they weren't matching. doing that anymore. Um, yeah, they're, and, they're not query Danny... matching the titles, but they are query matching the descriptions. Mm -hmm. So go yes. figure. They've always um, been bad for the last decade that they've been doing this. It's just unfortunately gotten much worse. And like you said, Ryan, at least if they noticed, but on the one that was down 20% because they took API out, that was there for a good three or four weeks. That yeah, and when, when, I say, when I say query matching, I'm greatly oversimplifying because I don't want to get into all the natural language or, or other you know coding reasons why they might decide to rewrite it. But there's some sort of 
algorithm there based on language somehow and that's like hey rewrite this because you know whatever mathematical model tells them to so i'm, I'm greatly oversimplifying there don't, <laughs> well, don't take my word if that's how they the, do it <laughs> then you have to look at the garbage in garbage out scenario too because like when my clients title tags got rewritten i'd be willing to bet that their click-through rate went up because they were a household name and people recognize the old name um but when google rewrites the new brand to the old name okay they get more clicks but they also create some user cognitive dissonance when they get to the site and they realize oh wait this isn't oh well, oh they rebranded okay there's a different name here it, it just confused everybody. Yeah. Totally agree. yeah. You know what? I bet there's a bunch of listeners out there that are, are just jumping at the question. Um, what do you do about that? What's your first reaction? Uh, Mine is to update the title tags and descriptions. I mean, obviously, Google didn't like what we wrote. Um, so, you know, let's tweak an update and see what happens. And if I really, really hate what they're showing and I can see that they're pulling it from an H1 or something else, I will update that H1 or something else. You know, do I really need to, that subsection of the page titled this, or does it really need to be a, a heading? Right, like you can kind of cheat it that way a little bit. It's it's a little bit of a last resort, but right for starters, I take the hint from Google that maybe my title tag and description aren't as good as I thought they were, and maybe I can tweak them. In, in my in my case, it's a little different. Um, the title tags were uh, researched and well written by the SEO teams that I'm working with. Uh, and so Google just arbitrarily rewrote them, like they arbitrarily replaced pipes with dashes. Sometimes like that's the only change. Uh, or they push, you know, they push the brand name to the front of the tag, even though we didn't want it there. But um, I just tell them to write an H1 for those pages that can be a title. It's yeah. not a title, but that's where Google takes it from the most. So at yeah. least if the H1 is workable as a short title and they replace it, at least we won't lose like 20% click-through rate like we did before. And like Ryan said, I'm not saying click-through rate is a ranking factor. I mean, it's a, you know, getting a fire to your page factor. So. Okay, quick warning here. Time moves really quickly. We're two thirds of the way through and there's a whole bunch of stuff we haven't even gotten to yet. So I, I want to <laughs> shift gears really quickly. Um, Google, uh, how does how to say this? There's There was a... Um, confusion around the um, meaning of and and use of the Google search Raiders guide and uh, oh. you know messages stuff and items within it um, well you know we have a former quality Raider exactly. on the show with us today oh, is that me yeah. I think that's me yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay and the biggest, I mean, the biggest, the biggest thing that I think that, uh, and, and, and Google's, I think, mostly to blame for this by being unclear and allowing a great deal of speculation to go unchecked, but um, eat, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. That's been interpreted a bunch of different directions by a bunch of different people. And I'm not sure that the SEO community is any clearer on what Google's intention was than they were at the beginning of the year before all this stuff got, got interpreted by a whole bunch of people in a whole bunch of different directions. Um, what do you all think? Uh, expertise, short, authoritative, trustworthiness. I'll get my short blurbs because I know Ryan will have a lot to say as a former quality rater, and I know Jenny has a lot to say. I've said a lot of it on Twitter already. <laughs> quality rater guide is only for quality raters to evaluate Google's changes in tests to algorithms. It's a quality assurance test. It's never meant to be an SEO guide. Eat is a conceptual idea that you could use if you just want to conceptually think that your pages are about eat, but Google has no ranking factors associated with them. If you look through all their patents, authoritativeness only shows up once in something related to links, which is what Gary said eat is basically about. And it, you, if you say I'm optimizing for it, how can you optimize for what Google does not analyze? Google doesn't analyze expertise, doesn't, expert, doesn't analyze authors, doesn't ask, analyze authoritativeness, doesn't analyze facts, doesn't analyze trust. It uses the core ranking factors, thus core updates are around EAT, uh, core, uh, core ranking factors to surface sites that better meet those qualities. But that doesn't mean those qualities are being evaluated. And Google has said they're not evaluated at least 20 different times. So that's my quick blurb. I'll let the, yeah. the team talk. Okay, and Ryan. so 
Okay, so mine is quick too. Um, I'm a big fan of the movie The Matrix, and at one point, um, Neo says, uh, or Morpheus says to Neo, you know, your hair's the same. Um, you you still look like you did in the real in the Matrix when you were living in the Matrix, um, and that the Matrix is the mental projection of your digital self. To me, that phrase, mental projection of digital self, is what EAT is. It is the way for humans to understand the machine language that goes into the algorithm. So Google is saying, if you create sites that are that display expertise, that are authoritative, that are trustworthy, then you will be hitting on the same signals that the algorithm is using to determine the value of a site. Well, my quick, uh, quick contrary to that is, most of what's in the quality raters guide is not in the algorithms. Therefore, you can do a lot of work that's meaningless and spend a lot of money on things that don't matter. And I've had clients be told, and Jim and I have one that we worked with, I was told to have everything rewritten by somebody who's a well-known author and they're down 50% in their traffic because it doesn't have any meaning to Google. They don't evaluate authors. So you have to oh, be very without careful. Without a doubt. I'm not I saying know you that. Know that Jen. No, no, I yeah. know you know that. Jen. Okay. That's, a good, that's a good call out. It, yeah. is, it, it is the way for the raters to evaluate what Google thinks are signals that, that make up a good site. Yeah. So no, they're not. It doesn't affect rankings, um, and it's not a direct impact. And and before we get any farther, quality raters have no direct impact on site ranking. All they're doing is testing ideas. Yes, yeah, so and one more thing. Those, wait, those are really important. Really important. Then we'll let Ryan talk. <laughs> uh, it's really important to know that what goes the quality raters do does not go into the machine learning. It goes right. through engineers and legal and a whole bunch of other departments. And then maybe they take a positive test and they'll add it to that, but it does not go directly to machine learning. There's been a bunch of SEOs that have been saying it does, and it absolutely does not. And I got that clarified from Google themselves. So Okay, uh, Ryan, uh, I want to leave the last going to Ryan, to Ryan Jones, who was a quality rater at Google at one time because, yeah. and then I want to shift gears quickly because Jim Boykin's sitting in the green room, um, having just gotten out of a uh, client meeting and, you know, I want to talk a little bit about VR on our way out a bit, a bit of future tech. But, but Ryan, from the from, from a quality raters perspective, what was this all about? Yeah, so um, I'll try and be quick with this answer, but I'll try and set some insight into you know. And it's I was a quality rater many many years ago, and the, the the program has probably changed a bit. But the heart and the goal of it and what they're doing, I don't think has. Um, and so. Eat, in my opinion, is just page rank. It's there's no eat score or anything, and the uh, the ladies hit on that, all of that. So I'm not going to rehash it. Um, in my opinion, it's mostly just page rank. Um, but what you know, the old quality raters guidelines that never were published used to or leaked, right? So I'll go off the leak here, so I don't violate any NDAs. Used to say every result is either vital, useful, relevant, not relevant, or spam, malicious porn, right? So. And what that means is if I search American Airlines, the vital result is AmericanAirlines.com. Um, a useful result might be a site that I can book an American Airlines flight on or a news article about you know something that happened on them today. A relevant result might be like an older news article or like a blog talking about them or their employees or something that's not really newsworthy right now or like a, like a, a airline affiliate type site, something like that. Not relevant might be something like, here's all the airlines in America, right? It's got the keyword, but it's not relevant. And then you guys know what spam is. Um, and so old days, they used to get two sets of search results. And you'd be like, hey, which one of these search results is better? And you'd look at every result in it and say, well, this one's got the vital result up top. This one's got it third. Uh, if this one's got four useful results, this one has three useful results, right? This is a better set of search results for this query. And you'd send that feedback in and then Google would look and say, oh, like, you know, variant A of this algorithm change is getting better results than variant B. So maybe we should push this change live or maybe, you know, or maybe it's not doing what's expected, right? We, we expected this to highlight more useful results and it's not doing it. So don't push this change live. So in essence, you don't know what you're testing. You're just looking at two sets of search results and you're saying, hey, this one's better than the other one based on these guidelines of, you know, vital, useful, relevant, not relevant. Now, as things change, what happens when every page, every result on both sets is useful? How do you rate that? 
you know, there, there could be a hundred useful results for a query and everything you're looking at on each set of results is useful. What do you do? And this is kind of where eat came in. Like, all right, they're all useful, but which one of these do you as the viewer think is more expert, more expertise or more authoritative or, you know, like if I'm searching medical advice, I actually want the thing from a doctor, not from a mommy blogger. Right. So they put that in as an easy human detectable way of lay people trying to determine which set of results is better from their point of view. And you have no idea what signals they're actually using. It could be page rank. It could be, you know, rank brainish natural language processing. It could be core web vitals. Who knows? Right. You're just trying to figure out for me, for this query, based on these guidelines, this set of results is more authoritative. Uh, and so it's, it's not really a score in them, but it's a way of measuring which algorithm is better. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Totally. Absolutely. And I'm glad it was recorded because I'm going to yeah. send it to future clients who are <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Can I tag you, Ryan? <laughs> um, sure. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Okay, I want to again. We, we're gonna we're gonna shift gears really quickly. And uh, uh, Jim, unmute yourself, Jim. Like Jim Boykin is sitting uh, in, in the green room, which is actually isn't a green room. It's kind of like Zoom. So he was kind of muted. Jim, welcome to Web Calls, you man. It's good to see you. It's good to be here. What a wonderful crowd you've got here. You got Jenny and Ryan and Christine and Jim and Brasco. Awesome to be here. It's been too long, guys. Yeah, it's it, good to see you. Yeah, welcome, man. It's been a while. It's been too long for all of us. Um, for, for, for listeners, um, we all used to meet up in strange cities in similar looking hotels across the United States over and over and over and over again on the speaker's circuit. And the last couple of years is the longest most of us have gone without seeing each other in like, well, a decade and a half or so. So, yeah, it's been way too long. I'm, um, I'm so glad you said on the speaker circuit because that just sounded weird for a minute. Well, it, there used to be one, and it was fun. Yeah. Um, Mark, 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 Tarp, yeah, Mark I think Ryan Trapagan. the meeting up in random hotels. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> oh, indeed, yeah. Well, you know, it's a Hyatt or a Marriott or a Hilton or something, and they all look alike because they have these beige hallways with those weird patterned carpets, and you're all wasted, and those carpets are like hallucinations. hallucinations. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Like, it's the same, it's the same thing, but weird. In different and we did cities. some work, too. We did? You worked? <laughs> <laughs> totally well, no, no, we're there for a reason to impart knowledge, yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. you know, a mind is a terrible thing to waste in the off hours. So, you know, it's, <laughs> you, you gotta you, the road. The, the road is the road requires um, that you keep your mind agile in one way or another. How's that? <laughs> that sounds good. You may want to ask Jim a question. We might. Um, I miss all of you so much because we don't get to meet in person. Jim, the ninjas are working in VR. And earlier today on Facebook, you put up this really cool post saying that within 10 years, everybody is going to uh, be meeting in VR. Uh, in fact, Apple is replacing the iPhone with VR. But you, the ninjas are already meeting in that, in that environment. What's that like? It's interesting. Um, they're actually really loving it. So... Oh, long story short, um, I ended up connecting with someone who is a creator of VR worlds, uh, universes, spaces, and had them start building a copy of my house. And my thought was, you know, me and the kids years later could meet up in the house in VR. And they started to build the house. And then I said, you know, Hey, can you rebuild our old office? You know, because we used to have our physical office. Then after Corona, we're all at home now. And I'm like, we'll recreate the old office. And so then they started to create the new office. And then I'm like, hey, why don't we create the ultimate office? You know, why, why just not, you know, create the old office? Let's create the super office. So they started creating the super office. And then during that period, um, you know, Zuckerberg starts releasing, you know, Horizons, and we have the office space. And it's like, oh, we're actually already creating that and other stuff. And um, but in any case, we got all the ninjas in Oculus, and we've been starting to have some meetings and vr spaces inside of our virtual office that we've had created and in some other areas like lake houses and 
uh, other rooms. And it's interesting that the ninjas actually, from everyone that's done it, I'm pretty sure that if I asked them to say, would you rather me and virtual reality or on zoom i think right now those that have been doing the vr would actually choose vr um i think it's actually it's more it's more interesting like it's almost more in touch than something like a zoom like you can walk around together explore places you can uh, share boards and screens and there's a lot of potential i do think that the future may not be like everyone's going to be wearing a VR headset, but certainly VR and AR is going to be a much bigger part of the future world, I believe. So I'm happy to be exploring it. We've actually, we have a piece of business in the VR space and a piece of business in the hologram space and a piece of business in some other spaces. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in the future of where we're headed. I think that some of that stuff is kind of like seeing the internet for the first time, like the whole VR world to me, I think is going to be just huge. It's where everything is headed. I think you are seeing the internet for the first time. It's just the internet as we're reinventing it. Um, yeah. This was like the William Gibson cyberspace that uh, we all sort of dreamed about being, uh, being in, in like cyberpunk days in like the nineties, but writ large. Um, do you have to have businesses and clients who are, representing themselves in uh, in the hologram verse hollow verse um in the hologram verse no so I do have so I'm, I'm an investor in a company called portal hologram and I, I actually do have a hologram machine that's in my garage let's separate from hologram sorry that was my mistake I meant the oh, VR verse right. I, I didn't mean to say hologram VR. Um, so clients you're right. that are into VR no Certainly we don't. So we're actually, we're going to be releasing a business around that soon. I can't quite go into too much of the details, but yeah, one of our arms is going to be in the virtual reality space as far as uh, part of our business. So yeah, we're, we're exploring the VR world. I imagine. Well, I'm about to be exploring it too. My kids are their their one wish for Christmas is an Oculus. So I'm really like almost excited as excited as they are to start playing with that and exploring it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I've I've been to a couple of conferences in VR and it's like it's like attending a real conference. You there know, we like, go. Everyone, you know, instead of going to PubCon or something, you know, instead just put on your headset, walk around, you can see people, there can be booths, like there can be the stage where people's talking, like, you know, it's it's amazing the stuff. I do think that the future is is going to be a lot of that. That's an interesting and I do take. Have a oh, sorry. I was just say, because the, the Zoom conference space right now, and no offense to any conferences, it's just underwhelming and underattended from what I can see. So... Uh, it's interesting to me to see if VR can fix that issue. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. One of the, one of the things that we're doing is building spaces. So kind of, I, I ran across the super virtual reality space builder. And so we're now kind of building the business around creating spaces. I don't know if you guys heard was a couple of days ago, someone bought like a virtual reality uh, uh, ship yacht for like, what is it? Sounds like two and a half million or something. <laughs> where, like, do they, where do they sail it that other people can see it? Uh, I don't, I don't even quite know, but I'm like, my guys can build you a virtual reality yacht. I'll, I'll do it for only a million. <laughs> sure, you can own it too. Like, you know, but I mean, like, how do we keep this from going like the way of Second Life? Anybody remember Second Life? Well, yeah. What happened that was so bad in that environment? It still exists. Um, people are still thriving there. People made businesses out of it. They sold virtual property, but that property was virtually real. I think, too, it was slower. It's it's kind of looked at in the VR world now is almost like, what was that, like MySpace is? Like, it's something old, dead, slow, yesterday's technology. The younger people aren't using it. But an important progression to get to where we are now, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. It kind of yeah, ahead of its no, time. Kind of the the precursor that the shoulders will stand on, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 
I go to um, CES every year and they've been doing the AR for, gosh, at least six years or so. So I've seen a lot of the top notch, you know, experiences that they display that are there and stuff. And I think that the barriers to entry are one cost, two physical issues with VR. I can only do VR for a very short time because it makes me very dizzy and nauseous. And though I do think there's a lot of fun applications for it. I also think as human beings, we like to feel, touch, experience energy from. So I think there's some great things that it can do. But I also think like conferences will still always be better in person. You can't do them. VR would be a much better alternative than Zoom. So I think it definitely has a big niche. But I think also as humans, we desire to be in places with real people touching real things. Yeah, I should mention too that the nice thing with the VR is that you also can access it like on your desktop. Like I, I, I can't do the VR for a long time, and we have a couple of employees that like they're happy to join us in virtual reality, but they're accessing the rooms on their desktop computer. Uh, so more like a sky, computer. more like a Skyrim reality than an Oculus reality. Yeah. So all that oh, is cool. optional so, too. So. Jim, I think some of the readers, or at least I'd like to know, what what type of platforms uh, are you guys, you know, finding the most valuable? Like for someone that wants to jump into this, where where should I look first? Well, I, I mean, and and VR, the way I look at it, I think you know, I got a couple of minutes, but I look at it as there's three main areas in VR. There's games, games as a whole wonderful area three minutes all right so games is a wonderful area uh, another one is like experiences you know uh, put on the headset and you go to the moon or something other experiences but then there's this other area which is like the social aspect which i really believe is going to be the future i think that's why zuckerberg is putting in like 10 billion or whatever into this yep. um and it's that social aspect of it. And it's kind of what the kids are doing now is they're entering these worlds. So like there's a program called a VR chat and, and it's kind of like, you know, Mark's um, meta or whatever, but, and you go into VR chat and there's all these different worlds and universes and you can walk into any random one. And there's a bunch of other people in that world that you can talk to and have conversations with. And it's, it's kind of like, and that's kind of like the future of how people are communicating. And you also can invite people to your rooms and uh, it's kind of really the future of social. And it's where the younger people are, at least that have the money for an Oculus. It's kind of like the new social. It's where everything is headed. So to me, that's the opportunity is that social aspect, plus the creating spaces in there. Like, like today, every company has got a website. Tomorrow, every company will have a virtual reality presence, a space, a front spacing for customers in the VR space. Plus, they're probably going to have a VR workspace as well. It's like there's no way around it. Like all companies have websites today. They're going to have a virtual reality space. Guarantee it. 100%. Yeah, that's you've really hit on something there. I've got a client in the retail space that uh, interior design, actually, you know, we, we already have the capability with your phone to be able to visualize their products in your space. But when we can really do it like a full 360 end to end type of experience, that's really going to be huge, I think. We, we have to jump really soon. I've been surprised for years that augmented reality hasn't taken off faster than, than it's taking off now. Like what you said, Jenny, you can, all, you can put something into your space um, and see what it'll look like um, or try on clothes to see what that's augmented reality. That fits so well in with virtual reality that has to become um, the new internet. There's, I can't imagine it moving any other direction. And I think your kids are getting on the job training with, uh, with the new Oculus for Christmas. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> about it. Hopefully they're not <laughs> listening and ruined their Christmas. Oh, damn. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, it's too late. They're going to have to do like phones, though. They're going to have to make it so people can just like get one uh, because it's just going to be too expensive for most people. Because not just a VR device, but you have to have a computer that supports it too. As well, soon as Zuckerberg no, can monetize it, he'll they'll give you buy. A free they'll one. buy those iPhones. <laughs> they'll spend a thousand bucks on an iPhone, right? No. The, well, the, the nice thing about the Oculus is that you no longer need that computer really to to hook it into, no, and there's don't. no more cables either. So it's like the Oculus Two is a really big leap. Oh, cool. Um, I yeah. Know about that. 
Okay. You know what? We have to leave it there. We're a hard stop at the top of the hour. We have another show coming up on, on the network. So, um, Ryan Joan, Jenny Hasliz, um, Christine Schackinger, and Jim Boykin, thank you all so much for joining us on Webcology. That was a really fun conversation. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Love you all. (laughs) Friends, you have been listening to Webcology on WMR.FM. It's the 2nd of December, 2021. Stay safe, be careful, get vaccinated. Uh, COVID is out there and getting more complicated by the variant. Um, get vaccinated, protect yourself, protect your community. Let's get our lifestyles and our economies back or we will all be in the virtual world forever and ever and ever. Big love, <laughs> be kind to each other. We'll talk to you next week. The opinions expressed in this WMR.FM program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WMR.FM. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.